SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome everybody into another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I am your host, Georgia Southern writer for Underdog Dynasty, Brian Stone. Joined once again, presumably for the last episode of you know this calendar year uh, i mean at, at least football wise until uh stuff starts back up in the fall zeke palermo uh zeke is the georgia state writer for underdog dynasty zeke we're here to talk about the bowl games that we we saw play out over the holiday uh apologies to everybody for getting this episode out late but you know we had personal lives and things like that to do so uh yeah, we're we're just gonna run down some of these bowl games and then and then get right out of here. All right, sounds good, man. Yeah, it um, mentioned I'm the Georgia State writer. Um, State, lots of y'all know, didn't make a bowl game, so it was a it was a good opportunity though for me to watch all the uh, the Sun Belt action as a whole without having to key in on just one team. So excited to talk about what we saw over the past month or so. Yeah, for sure. So let's get into the the first uh, Sun Belt Bowl game, at least uh, from a calendar perspective. Troy uh, defeated UTSA in the Cure Bowl. Uh, this was a much you know looked forward to matchup, at least. I mean, especially on our side of things. But I mean, I was even seeing people on the uh, on on Twitter who like don't normally talk about uh, G five football, saying that they were looking forward to this one. Uh, Troy, you know, when this game went to halftime, I was like, oh no, you know, UTSA's kind of staked their claim. Frank Harris is, is going to, you know, run away with this one for the Roadrunners. Troy did a great job, especially in the second half of just making this game ugly, which has kind of been, you know, outside of the Sunbelt Championship game, kind of their calling card because they have a great defense their offense had been struggling up until the the Sun Belt title game when they exploded for a bunch of points. But these these were the type of games we were accustomed to, and I don't think it's too far to say. I mean, UTSA I think was the best offense they played all year. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can't name another team off the top of my head that I'm like, oh that. You know, that team definitely popped off the page from an offensive perspective the way that UTSA did. So, uh, you know, just a cap on an absolutely great season for the Trojans in this one. And, you know, heading into the next year, you got to look at them and think that they're, you know, the 1A in the in the Sun Belt. I mean, you know, it, yeah. they, they seem to have everything together and ready to go again. Yeah, I mean, Troy, as you mentioned put on another one of their spectacular defensive performances 12 points i is a breathtaking number amount of points to or you know can't say what hasn't already been said what we haven't already said about at least from a points perspective how good the troy defense is um or rather you kept uctsa to 12 um not it was troy that scored 18 and uh but that does give me concern um Obviously, 18 is not great. I think Gunnar Watson, he played fine, although he was sacked six times. Uh, the offensive line was really Swiss cheesy. I mean, the Troy didn't run for much at all. Uh, and then on top of that, the six sacks. So uh, I, I agree with you that Troy's going to be the, the team to beat. 
uh, going into next season, but they need to find some sort of offensive rhythm. I mean, we talked, um, we, we know that near the end of the season, Troy did string together some high scoring games, uh, the game against coastal Carolina, where they scored 40 something, uh, game against Arkansas state where they scored about 40 as well. But, uh, against UTSA, against army, against South Alabama, those were games where you're scoring under three touchdowns. And, uh, uh, that's just something I really want to see them fix moving forward. Yeah, we'll have to see heading into next year, you know, what this team kind of looks like because, you know, they are they are losing a couple of impact players on the def- defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Carlton Marshall immediately springs to mind as someone they're losing. But I will say their head coach is a defensive guy, uh, you know, their offense, I mean, for as good as they were overall this year, their offense feels like it really has nowhere to go but up, you know? And that's kind of crazy to say considering they won the conference, but it's like kind of what you said. They they finished the game on a really hot, you know, three-game streak. UL Monroe, they scored 34, Arkansas State 48, Coastal Carolina 45. Mm-hmm. But, but like you said, a lot of the times it was – 10 to 6, 10 to 9, you know, 17 14, 23 17, like it wasn't the 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 numbers didn't spring up at you. So I I think you have to think that if they're going to try to run it back and and repeat as Sunbelt champions, they're going to have to establish a little bit of a little bit more offensive rhythm to kind of offset the stuff they may be losing on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. But in this one, this was just sort of the the cherry on the Sunday, you know, as far as this season has went, I mean, I went back and looked at their schedule. I think the only other offense that was comparable really that they didn't lose to in a fluke game like they did against app was Ole Miss, uh, as far as being offensively competent. Um, the rest of the teams that they've played, I mean, they just frankly made them look silly. So, I mean, you know, hats off to Detroit. Credit where credit's due. Great season, obviously, by every stretch. Nobody thought that they would be here when the season started, when we were, you know, previewing the teams and stuff like that. I don't think anybody assumed, you know, oh, this is a layup. They're going to win the, the conference. So just a great job by John Summerall and the, and the rest of that whole team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Troy caps off their season 12-2. and two. Uh, like I said, a great year for them. UTSA finishes eleven and three with the loss. Um, let's get into this next one. Southern Miss defeats Rice thirty-eight to twenty-four. This game went exactly how I thought it would. Um, Rice cannot defend the run whatsoever. They shouldn't have been in a bowl game. Period. End of story. I mean, they. We talked about this going into this. They were five and seven. They got in on the on the back of their student GPAs. Well, you see what happens when you put a team that shouldn't be in a bowl game against a team that frankly should, like Southern Miss. Frank Gore runs for three twenty nine and two touchdowns, and you know all of the concerns that we had about the passing game just frankly don't matter when you run for three hundred yards with one player. Yeah, I mean Frank Gore. We talked about this in our. Our, our previous episode, uh, I had keyed Frank Gore as a guy to have a really incredible year, and I guess he kind of saved for me to 
to write him off before he drops 329, which I believe is a bowl game record across the NCAA. Um, also broke uh, Southern Miss single game rushing record, but I Southern Miss got lucky in this one. They, they um, obviously again when you've got a guy rushing for as many as Gore did, almost 330 yards, uh, you're in a good spot. But they turned the ball over twice. Uh, Trey Lau, the quarterback, fumbled, lost two fumbles. Um, on three turnovers, Rice only scored once. They had to punt on a punt on two and scored a touchdown on one. So, um, I mean, good for Southern Miss to defeat a team that, again, we both thought they should probably be beaten. But looking forward, um, unless Gore can keep this kind of production um, and maybe even step it up going into next year, who is Southern Miss's quarterback, man? I mean, Trey Lau is going to Liberty. Ty Keys is going to Syracuse. Who's left? Tyler Wilk? Wilkie? Hey, that that doesn't inspire hope. And, I mean, he hasn't really played regularly since early November. So, uh, I mean, good win for Southern Miss. Uh, I know you like to say, uh, Brian, feather in their cap, but uh, it doesn't really look good for them moving forward. Uh, yeah, I mean, looking forward, we'll have to we'll have to see how everything shakes out because I mean, there are still some transfers and stuff that are going to go through probably after like spring games and stuff happen. Honestly, man, if I'm a quarterback, and I'm not even talking about like a high end backup, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about a quarterback, and I'm looking for a destination to go to where I'm not going to have a lot of pressure on my shoulders. I don't have to make every single play. Southern Miss honestly isn't a bad bet. I mean, can you know their defense is good. They can run the football. They literally just need, and I, I don't like to make pro comps, because, but it kind of is what it is. They need like a a San Francisco 49ers Brock Purdy, Jimmy Garoppolo type quarterback who can mm-hmm. literally make like five throws a game that matter because. Their defense plays well enough to keep them in games. They run the ball well enough when they have even a semblance of a passing game because teams can't just key in on the on their ground. You know, if they throw the ball even competently, their running game goes bananas. It's right. just they can't they haven't gotten that yet. So like uh, honestly man, if I'm if I'm you know, I I I I, I hate to do this cuz like I know everybody rolls their eyes when I do it. But, like, Georgia Southern has a bunch of incoming transfer quarterbacks, so we have some guys headed out that haven't committed anywhere yet. If I'm one of those guys, man, and Southern Miss calls, I mean, that's a pretty low-pressure situation to be in. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I'm – like I said, I would at least take the call and hear him out before right. I would immediately say, like, no, no way. So – the, I will say the craziest part about this game to me when you look at it is Gore ran for 329 yards. This game was tied after three quarters. Like, mm-hmm. it was 24-24 after three quarters. It was a, a Jason Brownlee uh, touchdown reception early in the fourth quarter and a Frank Gore Jr. run with 257 left that really put it away. I mean, this game was tight to the end, and they had, they, they had a guy that was running for uh, – what 15.7 yards per carry southern yeah so that's that's what's nuts to me is like that this game was ever close but it's kind of what we were talking about like if they if they even have a competent quarterback like this game is a absolute stone blowout 
but you got Trey Lau, you got Frank Gore Jr. throwing three passes for some reason because they're still trying to do that. I I don't know. If they get a quarterback, watch out. I think they're going to be really good. However, like you said, with those two guys transferring, you just you have no idea what they're going to do at the quarterback position heading into next year. But mm-hmm. uh, and when when you said that Southern Miss was lucky, I honestly have to disagree because I think they just played a team man that shouldn't have been in a bowl game to begin with. I think that was more of what it was. You know well, what I mean? We'll, we'll like, go back a couple months, and this is not what I'm saying. But if you had asked me a couple months ago, I wouldn't have said Southern Miss deserved to be in a bowl game either. So. Uh, it's just those three turnovers, and um, I mean, you let AJ Paget throw for three touchdowns in a quarter. It just it didn't look great. I think Rice really could have come out with uh, one if they had. It's those two turnover two turnovers that they didn't score on. Man, I mean, just kicking yourself over. Yeah, and I mean, also if you if you hold Frank Gore to two hundred yards rushing, you probably win that game mm-hmm. too. So that's that's the craziest thing to say. Um, but yeah, uh, Southern Miss finishes off their season seven and six. Rice moves to five and eight. You want to, like I said one more time, a, a team that absolutely should not have sniffed a bowl game at any point. I hate that they do the the GPA stuff because that does not reflect how good an actual football team was in a given year. Um, getting into our next game here, Western Kentucky absolutely blew South Alabama off the map. 44-23. This game was not close at any point. Uh, it was 31-3 to Western Kentucky at halftime. Um, I thought Southern, or South Alabama rather, was going to make this like a real game. And Austin Reed just absolutely lit them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Alabama's defense. I mean, I mean, almost 500 yards passing, four touchdowns, one pick. Like I said, they had a, they had a 28-point lead. At the half, um, South Alabama did all their damage uh, on the scoreboard. I mean, quote unquote damage. Uh, you know, twenty points in the second half. But by that point, the game was was well over. At that point, um, yeah, man, I didn't foresee this. South Alabama just turns in an absolute stinker to to end twenty twenty two. Kind of a bummer considering how good they had been outside of the uh, the Troy game. I mean, yeah, this is, I, that's the exact thought I had. It was just a real disappointment to see them go out like this. Um, however, uh, I feel like it's pretty obvious what happened and why the score, uh, Western Kentucky, like we knew Western Kentucky was going to pass the ball. They threw the ball 56 times. That was a given going into this game. That's how Western Kentucky plays. South Alabama, instead of trying to, they tried to match them step for step with that. Carter Bradley threw a career high. 53 passes and Carter Bradley is not meant to throw 53 passes in a game. On top of that, they gave the ball to LaDamian Webb only 12 times, uh, which again, if you're trying to match uh, the Hilltoppers throw for throw makes sense. But when Webb is getting more than 18 carries, the Jags are six and zero. He carried the ball only 12 times in this game. And when he's getting under those 18 carries, they were three and three. Just seeing that South Alabama saw the heavy guns of uh, the high flying of the Hilltoppers and said, we want to match that. They're not built to do that. And um, I mean, that's just kind of, it felt like poor game planning from that perspective because they were capable of winning this game and just abandoned ship to let Bradley throw a ridiculous amount of passes. And as I said, he's not meant to do that. 
Yeah, I'm always I'm always a little hesitant when it comes to stats like if X player gets number of carries like they're mm-hmm. undefeated because a lot of times when that happens it's the reason that a, a person like LaDamian Webb is getting that number of carries is because they're already up by so much that they're just trying to run the clock out like in the second half of games. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just think person. I mean, they just couldn't move the ball like in the first half. And and I think that's why you saw so many pass attempts is like, you know, if, if you're down 31 to three at half, like you're not going to give LaDamian Webb you know, 10 more carries or whatever. Like, it, it's time to, you know, kind of like you said, abandon ship, just start chucking the ball over the field because otherwise, like, what are you going to do? You right. know? So I, I think it was just one of those things, man. I think uh, South Alabama's defense just didn't quite, you know, maybe they were bummed out. It, it, so it, it's always hard to get into the mindset of these teams that, you know, miss out on, like, say, the Sun Belt Championship game like narrowly the way that South Alabama did. But it, I don't know if they were just like bummed out or like what the deal was. They just didn't come to stop the passing game of Western Kentucky at all. Like they just never showed up. And, mm-hmm. and typically South Alabama this year had had a pretty good defense. So like I, I don't really understand what, what happened truly in this game. Like I watched the first half. And then by the second half, I was like, I have other stuff to do. Like, I can't just sit around and watch South Alabama get blown out. So I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. But I, I don't know what – I truly don't know what the Jaguars were doing in the first half. Like, I, I, I don't get it at all. Um, but, yeah, it, like I said, kind of a real thud, I guess, to end your, your 2022 season is, is, like, just getting absolutely shellacked in the bowl game like this. But – you know, it it is what it is. Western Kentucky came to play. Uh, South Alabama falls to ten and three to end their twenty twenty two campaign. Western Kentucky moves to nine and five as the season comes to an end. Um, getting into this next game here, Houston defeated Louisiana twenty three to sixteen. I think this was a game, an island game, in that it was two days before Christmas. I don't think there was anything else on. So I watched this game pretty closely all the way through. Uh, Louisiana really just gave it up, quite frankly, to, to to Houston. Like, they had the lead. It was 16-6 to six at half. And Louisiana just did nothing offensively in the second half. I mean, it, I, I don't know. Louisiana's prone to doing stuff like this where they just disappear for an entire half of football and then you kind of sit around wondering what happened. But, you know, Clayton Toon... For, for the Cougars through two touchdown passes, including one with 20 seconds to go to to beat Louisiana. I, I don't know. Louisiana just had been prone to falling asleep, and it happened, you know, again to end their season. This was kind of the microcosm of, of their year. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I want to talk you through the um, Louisiana's final real drive of that game because um, it ended with a punt from Houston's 34. Louisiana <laughs> from Houston's 34, which it went, it was a 26 yard punt, fair caught at the eight. Um, and so it gives now Houston needed a 92 yard drive to score a touchdown. And they got it. I want to talk to you about is that a good decision? Uh, Louisiana's kicker, Kenneth Almoradis, his long is 52. 
He's a career three for three from 50 plus. If they had kicked the field goal, it would have been 51. Are you punting it? Are you kicking the field goal in the situation? I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I'm if I have, I think his name is Almendaris. If I can call him, I'm sorry to call him Almeridis. It's Almendaris, yes, sir. I think it's Almendaris just based on the conversations we had had with I had had with Matt last year on the podcast. Personally, it was a it was a weird spot to be in, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's third and eleven with three minutes to go from the Houston thirty-four. I can tell you one thing: in a bowl game like this, where honestly the results don't matter. You know, quite frankly, like it is what it is. Like if you lose or win, um, I'm definitely not punting from the opponent's 34. Mm -hmm. I don't care if we go for it on fourth and 11. Like, I, I, I personally, I would have rolled Amandaris out and let him kick it and and kind of let the chips fall where they may because I, I get your idea of pinning them inside the 10 the way that they did, but. Let's say, hypothetically, that that goes the other way. Let's say the ball bounces at the eight and rolls in the end zone. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, then you give them give them the ball on their own 20, and you have a net punt of 14 yards. So, like, in the end, it didn't make any difference, clearly. I mean, you know, Houston scored on that drive from their own eight. Um, they just absolutely couldn't stop. I mean, Clayton Toon ran for, what, 33 yards on the first play? from yep. scrimmage uh, to start that next drive. So clearly it didn't matter. I'm putting the ball on the foot of Almondaris, like what you said, you know, three for three from what, 50 plus in his career. Yep. Like I'm taking the shot on that and just kind of letting the chips fall where they may, because it's a bowl game guys. It's not the NFL playoffs. Like it is what it is. If you lose it, you know, worst case scenario, it just turns out like it ended up anyway. So mm -hmm. like, what are you doing? I, I don't get it. You know, the, the other thing, too, was, like, they had third and 11, you know, with 3.06 to go on the Houston 34. In that situation, man, honestly, I'm like, it's four-down territory. I'm going to throw a ball short of the sticks and just go for it on fourth. I'm not trying to get all 11 or whatever on, on the one play. You yeah. know what I mean? So, like... I probably would have thrown like a check down, maybe got six yards, five yards, something like that, and then just been like, hey, it's fourth and six. Let's do it. So, like, I I, I don't know what DeSormo was thinking. It, Whatever it was, it did not work out. Um, this was some real uh, – what is that guy's name? What's the Iowa coach's name who's, like, known for doing this? Um, would that be uh, Fenneritz? Ferentz, yeah. Ferentz has, like, a, a reputation for doing this where he, like, punts from the opponent's, like, 35 mm -hmm. and, gets, and, like, gets, like, 26 net yards and is, like, pumping his fist on the sideline. He channeled his inner Kirk Ferentz, and that's not a positive thing <laughs> because that guy is maybe the most conservative coach of all time. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, this was, this was a real head-scratcher. Um, the last... It, really, the last four drives for Louisiana couldn't have gone any worse. You get a you get a punt, net result of twenty six yards. Next next series, Houston scores a touchdown. Okay, it's you know twenty three sixteen. You've got a chance to to make a game of it, and then they just they, well, I, I I take that back. They had seventeen seconds left. They did absolutely nothing with it. 
they got intercepted as the game sort of ended. It, this was just, you know, let, let me read actually their lap. Let me read their second half drives. Louisiana. Are you mm-hmm. ready for this? Yep. Okay. First drive after halftime, fumble. Second one, punt. Third one, fumble. Fourth one, punt. Fifth one, interception. End of game. Yep. Those were their second half possessions. So, I mean, that should kind of tell you everything you need to know. I mean, this was this was an ugly, ugly, ugly performance. But this this is kind of what I said. This is the DeSormo experience. The defense is good enough. The offense goes hot and cold, and I, I can't make heads or tails of it. Yeah. I guess one final question before we leave this game is, I were a year in, was DeSormo a good hire? I don't know, and the reason I say that is because the the way that obviously like Louisiana fans will trade a Sun Belt Conference title win for their head coach leaving. I would assume. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been they've been highly, highly, highly successful in twenty 2020 twenty and you know twenty twenty one. They lost so much talent from from when Napier left for Florida that just like I I don't know. Like I need to see, I need to see Desormo with like a full recruiting cycle under his belt to get like an actual picture of whether he's good or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I I think twenty twenty three is going to be really telling if they come out and look like this again, where it's like you have no idea what you're getting from week to week. I'm going to mm-hmm. say no, but if if they seem like they kind of have their stuff together and they go like eight and four, I'll be like, sure, yeah, he was fine. You know, whatever. Um, so yeah, the ugly loss for for the Cajuns there. Um, speaking of ugly losses, uh, Buffalo defeated defeated Georgia Southern twenty three to twenty one. Um, this was a this was an ugly game. Um, to be quite honest, uh, Georgia Southern's offense. Even though Van Treese put up some great numbers, really never came to play. Uh, you know, Van Treese put up 352 and two touchdowns, but they just never got any real momentum under them. Uh, Buffalo kind of just did whatever they wanted at will. Cole Snyder, you know, they could not stop. Georgia Southern could not stop Justin Marshall on mm-hmm. any play. Like, they could have just thrown the ball straight up in the air to Justin Marshall in every play and it would have it would have been a completed pass or a pass interference. So like I I don't know, man. Like this was this was a bad performance for Georgia Southern. They their their receiving core was really beat up. Um their their number one running back didn't play. Uh Jalen White was hurt for this one. Um they were really just cobbling together an offensive team at the end of this season and but it was it was as ugly as you could have asked for yep uh you mentioned Jalen White's absence uh you got some good running out of OJ Arnold he 12 carries for 68 yards did you like what uh you saw out of him I know he was kind of the third back in the offense this year but is he somebody I believe he's a freshman so is he uh did that game give you uh optimism for him looking forward yeah, honestly, because okay, so Gerald Green, their second back in this offense, I, I believe he transferred to East Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, 
right after this this game took place. So yeah, I mean, presumably the next next season the backfield's going to be you know Jalen White number one, OJ Arnold number two. Arnold had had some good, uh, you know, appearances in games this year, but like you said, it, I mean, it was a pass heavy offense that didn't really utilize the running game all that much and then when they did they had two backs ahead of him mm-hmm. so there was really no way to like fully evaluate how good he actually was but i liked what i saw out of you know it, the the weird thing is it was like georgia southern all year had done this thing where they had never put together a full game performance mm-hmm. like they would have a bunch of games where the defense was horrible and the offense scored a ton of points now those went you know, those were like 50-50. So, so Georgia Southern would win some of those. Georgia Southern would lose the other half. Then they would have these games like um, the Marshall game comes to mind. Um, South Alabama, where they would play they would play okay on defense, but offensively they could do absolutely nothing right. And, and which was weird to see from like statistically one of the top passing offenses in the country but this kind of stuff happened and it was it was weird all year long um but yeah i mean they they have brought in a ton of transfers uh, specifically on the defensive side of the ball to help kind of fix all of the issues that they had dealt with in 2022 so i'm hoping this is kind of shored up and then they also kind of get the quarterback position figured out yep Um, fair enough yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the end of that one. Uh, we want to get to one game that we missed out on here. Uh, Marshall defeated UConn 28-14. to uh, This was kind of the uh, the return of Rasheen Ali as, as the primary rusher here. I mean, he had 15 carries for 92 yards and a score. Uh, he outrushed Kalen Laybourne on fewer attempts. Uh, so we had a higher average overall. This was the the quintessential Marshall game, though. They they threw the ball just twenty times. They dominated the the um, the ground things on the ground defensively. They they stopped UConn from doing much of anything. They forced three picks. I mean, it was just you know it was it was all Marshall in this one. This is I think assuming. This is the way that Marshall wants all of their games to, to go. They mm-hmm. want it to be relatively low scoring. They want to run the football. They want to keep the other team off the scoreboard, and they want to force turnovers. And that's that's exactly what they did against UConn in this one. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. UConn just couldn't do anything. They ran the ball um, 38 times, but we're looking at under uh, four yards per carry. Their quarterbacks uh, between Zion Turner and Kale Millen, 11 for 30. Uh, through three interceptions, so uh, just UConn did not look good in this game. I don't think many expected them to look better than Marshall, but yeah, you mentioned Ali, more yards than Laybourne on less attempts, which is huge for the herd because uh, I believe Laybourne's going to the draft. Um, so they're going to have Ali, uh, assuming he doesn't you know, miss any more time for whatever personal reasons caught up with him this uh this season, they're going to have him back next season, and he's probably going to rush for 150 yards a game, uh, like he did two years ago, and like Laybourne did this past season. Um, so, uh, assuming they can, Cam Fancher takes a, a further step. Marshall, at least offensively, looks very, very good um, this upcoming season. Yeah, 
Um, and on the UConn side of things, I know we're not, you know, we don't cover UConn or whatever. I honestly, despite the way that this game turned out and the, and their overall record, I mean, I think Jim Mora Jr. did a heck of a job with UConn this year. I mean, mm-hmm. we said this when we were previewing this game. UConn has been in the, the like, one of the punchlines of FBS football the last, you know, decade or so, along with, you know, UMass and, and Kansas and New Mexico State and teams like that. To go 6-7 and seven or even 6-6 six and six in the regular season with this team is, is wildly impressive, considering where he started from yeah but, you know, I mean, it's, Martin, like, it's like a bowden type tur- uh, turnaround i feel we're gonna have in yukon yeah um, so i mean yeah just he's done a really really good job with this team and i'm excited to see um what he does moving forward because this could be a team i mean with a coach like jim mora obviously junior not not his father but i think that could be a good team um moving forward for sure uh so yeah, that was the end of that one, and the last game um, of the bowl schedule that I have pulled up here, Coastal Carolina got their doors blown off by East Carolina. Um, Grayson McCall got injured in this one fairly early, and from there it was just tough to watch. If you're a Chance Clears fan, I mean. Holton Ehlers, the the East Carolina quarterback, threw for 300 yards and five touchdowns with no interceptions. Um, East Carolina ran the ball pretty well with a you know Keaton Mitchell had 127 yards and a score on the ground. Ehlers added another touchdown rushing. Um, now I, I want to say this, and I want to get your thoughts on this Zeke before we head out. I, you know we're talking about Coastal Carolina and stuff. So it was announced that Grayson McCall had withdrawn his name from the transfer portal and is coming back to Coastal next year. So I guess my question is, you've got a new head coach. You know, obviously Chadwell went off to Liberty. You get Tim Beck in from uh, NC State. Do you think that they're going to see the same type of success? Because I'm sort of expecting a drop-off despite getting a call back, which was huge, but I just don't I don't think that without – I think without Chadwell, they're going to sort of experience a step back with all this. No. Uh, I mean, first got to look towards um, Louisiana, who we talked about earlier, when they, they were in a very similar position to Coastal where they were perennially, you know – top two within the conference and then they see a head coaching change um i know they're going to be keeping mccall which is incredible for that team um but i i think we have to base our our expectations off of what we saw from uh from Louisiana when they when they made their head coaching change between, from Napier to DeSormo they they took a considerable step, step back um on top of that uh, a good handful of coastal guys are are hitting the uh, the transfer portal. Those being defensive uh, mainly, I think they're keeping a lot of their offensive pieces. Uh, again, namely McCall in place. But uh, after this performance, uh, I'm willing to call it a wash. It didn't really matter. Um, but I, I think they're going to take a good step back, and it just feels inevitable. Yeah, I agree. I just. I don't even with McCall there. I just don't see a way that they are at the same level 
as they have been the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the way this season ended, you know, you could make an excuse that it's because Chadwell had his foot out the door, yada, yada, yada. But I, I just don't, I just don't see a way that they keep up this momentum. I think, I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if Chadwell's numbers sort of take a step back because I think Beck and the rest of that coaching staff are going to run a way more traditional style of offense. And I think it's going to be more predictable, which is, is, you know, not always a bad thing, but I also think they're going to ask McCall to do, you know, a lot more. I think, you know how like my, my issue with Chadwell had been that they would never take the reins off of McCall, especially when they needed points and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see what that actually looks like because I don't think this team is going to be overly stacked on either side of the ball moving forward. So like, what does it look like when it's all down to him to like make a play is, mm-hmm. is going to be interesting. But, um, yeah, defensively, it was ugly for the Chanticleers in this one. McCall, like I said, uh, got injured uh, fairly early in this game. Jarrett Guest had to play. Uh, the rest of it, he played fine, but they just they couldn't run the football. Uh, Ehlers was just tearing them up through the air. They couldn't keep pace uh, on the offensive side, and, and you just see how it kind of all panned out. But that wraps up the bowl schedule for 2022. Uh, we've got some exciting stuff to look forward to in 2023, but uh, a lot of things are still yet to be determined. A lot of coaching staff still yet to be completely filled out. Um, like I said, we've still got some transfers. Uh, we've got the, I guess, what you would call late signing day now that takes place after the early signing day period uh, that still needs to be finalized. We've got, um, like I said, transfers that usually take place after spring ball. So we'll have to see how that all pans out as we head into 2023. But Zeke, just to close out, you know, last season here, tell folks where they can find you on social media. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z-E-K-E-P-A-L-E-R-M-O. That's where all my Georgia State stories, Sunbelt stories for the website go, as well as updates on the podcast. Brian, how about you? Yeah, as always, you can find me on Twitter at WatchTheStone. Um I assume we will be back next season, Zeke. If you if you're down, I assume we're going to be back uh, next season. I would say late July or late June, rather. We're going to start cranking out some Sun Belt team previews, uh, but as we sort of get into the regular season. But yeah, man, I know we're still a long way away at this point, but I am excited for next season to to you know begin to start up and get all that ready. Um, mm-hmm. As always, this has been another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. Podcast.